namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa uthang thamang sankhang namasami We go to some examples from everyday life. Tom and Ben are students and intimate friends. Every day at school, they greet each other cheerfully. One day, Tom sees Ben and greets him in a friendly manner, but Ben frowns and does not reply. As a consequence, Tom gets angry and stops speaking with Ben. In this situation, the process occurs in this way. 1. Ignorance. Tom does not know the reasons behind Ben's bad mood, and he does not reflect with wisdom to work out the truth of the situation. Ben may be upset about something or have some some unresolved problem. 2. Volitional formations. Tom forms various ideas corresponding to his personal habits and opinions. He speculates about what Ben must be thinking or feeling, and mental defilements may make Tom feel confused angry or offended. 3. Consciousness. In his disturbed state, Tom notices those of Ben's actions that fuel and confirm his current prejudices and interprets them accordingly. And the more he does this, the more convinced he is that he is right. Tom finds all of Ben's expressions and actions annoying. 4. Mind and body. The various aspects of Tom's mind and body, feelings, thoughts, mental states, facial expressions, gestures, etc., manifest as symptoms of anger and conceit. The physical and mental factors that arise match consciousness. And the six sense bases. The sense bases involved in this situation are alert and fully primed. Contact. There is contact, particularly eye or ear contact, with those characteristics and traits of Ben that are particularly pronounced or arresting. For example, sullenness, unresponsiveness, and apparent scorn and disrespect. 7. Feeling. A feeling of discomfort, stress, pain, or sadness arises. 8. Craving. A desire for the destruction and end of the discomforting, oppressive sense impressions. Number 9. Grasping. Tom grasps onto the idea that Ben's behavior is deliberately aimed at him and that the issue must somehow be sorted out. 10. Becoming. Tom's behavior is conditioned by grasping. His behavior, Kamabawa, is adversarial. His existence at this moment is as, is as an adversary. 11. Birth. Tom embraces this existence as an adversary. He clearly sees himself as Ben's foe, his enemy. He separates me and him and identifies himself as one who must confront Ben. 12. Aging and death. The self arising in this state of conflict is sustained by various perceptions, for example, as being a person who is able, skilled, honourable, dignified or successful. These qualities, however, have opposing qualities, say, of inferiority, failure, dishonour or defeat. As soon as the desired self arises, it's threatened by the possibility of turning into its opposite. Tom may not be able to sustain the identity of a skilled and effective adversary. Rather, he may become weak and unable to to defend his honour. Suffering continually assails him. It ranges from the fear that he will not get what he wants, the tension and worry involved in the search for a desired state of being, right up to the disappointment if he is unsuccessful. And even if the case is that he is successful, a waning of enjoyment inevitably follows. The suffering envelops and overshadows the mind, conditioning further ignorance and another turning of the wheel. This suffering is like a festering wound which steadily releases toxins. It causes problems for the person and for others, affects behaviour and shapes the entire course of life. In the above example, Tom may be unhappy all day, be unable to concentrate on his studies, act and speak badly towards others and cause further conflicts. So, can people follow that? Does that seem... Possibly painfully familiar, <laughs> this kind of a pro- uh, processes whereby we uh, we just take a perception and latch onto it, and 
and make a whole story out of it. You know, that's, uh, it's not unfamiliar. Uh, that um, I think this kind of giving a, an example from everyday life is uh, all right. This is what all these these uh, technical terms refer to, and uh, you know, so much of life is that we take a particular perception or idea, we make an assumption, and then create a whole story uh, around it. Um, and so that this is uh, just from the expression on someone's face, like, oh, why didn't he smile back? And whoop, this whole kind of scenario uh, develops. And uh, often it's, you know, the reason why the person didn't smile back was because they, they needed to get to the bathroom quickly. <laughs> you just, some, something in the way while they were rushing to get to the, to the loo. And uh, this didn't register you as their, their old friend at that moment. And so um, it's so easy for there to be misunderstandings, but we, we easily create whole stories around that. Any questions, thoughts, reflections before I continue? If Tom were to respond correctly from the beginning, this cycle of problems would not occur. When Ben does not smile or return his greeting, Tom would reflect with wisdom that Ben may have encountered some trouble. Perhaps he was scolded by one of the teachers, is short of money, or is suffering from some other unresolved issue. Thinking in this way, he'll not be upset. Rather, his heart will remain spacious and full of compassion. He may inquire after the cause, comfort Ben, find him a, uh, help find him a solution to the problem, or simply ab- allow Ben to have some quiet time to himself. Even if a negative cycle begins to turn, there's an opportunity to make amends. Say the cycle has reached contact, passa, where Tom is aware of Ben's unpleasant behaviour and Tom begins to suffer as a, as a result. Tom can give rise to mindfulness instead of falling victim to an ensuing craving for escape. Vibhavatana. By considering the situation, wisdom severs the cycle and Tom experiences Ben's actions in a new way. Tom uses reason to reflect on Ben's actions and on his own appropriate response. Tom's mind will be clear and free from stress and he will think of ways to help his friend. The arising of wisdom brings freedom to the mind. No self is fabricated that is prone to disturbance. Apart from not creating personal problems, wisdom gives rise to the compassionate wish to reduce others' suffering. This has the opposite effect from ignorance, which leads to the wheel of rebirth, samsara, to craving and attachment, and to a restricted sense of self, which is subject to pain and has far-reaching consequences. So, uh, I thought... um, as I promised yesterday, I would read this um, little piece that Lumpur Sumedho's Reflections. So this was tucked into the back of his copy of uh, Dependent Origination. And um, this concerns Boris Yeltsin, another Boris. <laughs> uh, Boris Yeltsin, who uh, was the uh, the president of uh, of Russia at that time. And uh, Mr. Dudayev, is that the correct pronunciation? Who was from, he was a uh, a, a political leader from Chechnya, and at this time there was the, uh, the murmurings about Chechnya declaring independence and breaking off from the rest of, of Russia. And so coincidentally, Lumpur happened to write some these reflections on dependent origination and using Yeltsin and Dudayev at that time. So this, was, uh, this book was published in 1994, and Dudayev and Chechnya, um, they had that sort of breakaway um, movement from 1991 until he was assassinated in 1996. So Lumpur probably wrote this either 19, about 94 or 95, is that my deductions. So, first of all, one, Avija. Yeltsin thinks that Chechnya should not secede from Russia, and that if it does, and he doesn't stop it, then many more parts of Russia will do the same. Quote, Chechnya belongs to Russia, unquote. Two, Sankara. As a result, Yeltsin proceeds to think and formulate theories and scenarios in his mind conditioned by his temperament, and these give rise to doubt, anger, resentment, once again dependent on his particular temperament. 3. Vijnana. Under the influence of these defilements, Yeltsin broods. He takes note of and interprets Dudayev's behavior and actions in accordance with those previous impressions. And the more he thinks about it, the sour, the surer he gets. Dudayev, Dudayev's becoming repulsive along with prejudiced views of Chechnya. Namarupa. Yeltsin and his military advisors, feeling, uh, feelings, thoughts, moods, facial expressions and gestures 
that is the body and mind together, begin to take on the overall features of angry and indignant people, primed to function in accordance with that consciousness. Salayatna. Their sense organs are primed to receive information that is related to and conditioned by the body-mind organism's state of anger and indignation. Pasa. The impingement on the sense organs will be of the activities and attributes of Dudayev and Chechen's, uh, Chechen's which seem particularly rel uh, relative, rel uh, relative to the case, such as the blaming statements, the aggressive gestures and the proclamations, etc. Vedana, the feelings conditioned by the sense contact are of the unpleasant kind. Tanha, Vibhava Tanha, craving for non-being arises. The dislike or aversion for that offensive image, the desire to destroy it. Upadana, clinging and obsessive thinking in relation to Dudayev's behavior follows. It is interpreted as a direct challenge. He, Dudayev, and the Chechens are seen as the enemy and the whole situation demands some kind of remedial action. Bhava, Yeltsin and his military advisors' subsequent behavior falls under the influence of clinging and their actions become those of an antagonist. Birth, Jati. As the feeling of enmity becomes more distinct, it is assumed as an identity. The distinction between them and us becomes more distinct and there is a self which is obliged to somehow react to the situation. Jara Marana. This self, quote-unquote, or condition of enmity exists and flourishes dependent on certain conditions, such as the desire to appear tough, to preserve honor and pride and to be the victor, which all have their respective opposites, such as fears of failure uh, and world opinion and being wrong and guilt. As soon as that self arises, it's confronted with the absence of any guarantee of victory. Even if Yeltsin does attain the victory he desires, there's no guarantee that he'll be able to preserve his supremacy for very long. He may not, in fact, be the, the tough victor he wants to be, but rather the loser and humiliated in Russia and in, internationally. These possibilities of suffering play with Yeltsin's moods and produce something <laughs> produce oh, something insecurity and, and produce oh stress produce stress insecurity and worry they in turn feed ignorance thus beginning a new round of the cycle such negative states are like festering wounds which have not been treated and so continue to release their poison uh, poisoning effect uh, on Yeltsin's consciousness, influencing his behavior and causing problems both for himself and for others. In this case, if Yeltsin were to practice correctly, he would be advised to start off on the right foot. Reflecting on Dudayev's behavior in Chechnya, he could use his intelligence, Yoniso Manasikara, considering in accordance with causes and conditions, and reflect that Dudayev and the Chechens have problems and fears and, and assumptions that need to be taken into account and understood. If he reflected in this way, Yeltsin and the Russian government would take, on, uh, take an interest and maybe even work out a fair and agreeable solution. They might even feel compassion. Uh, once the negative chain of events has been set in motion, however, it can still be cut off. Oops can still be cut off with, with mindfulness at any point. For instance, if it had continued on up to sense contact, the awareness of Dudayev's actions in a negative way, Yeltsin could still set up mindfulness right there. Instead of falling under the power of craving for non-being, he could instead consider the facts of the situation and thereby gain a fresh understanding of Dudayev's behavior. He could then reflect wisely in regard to both his own and Dudayev's actions, so that his mind would no longer be weighed down by negative emotional reactions, but instead respond in, clearer, more, in a clearer and more positive way. 
this could encourage compassion. So that's uh, Lumpur Sumedha's uh, reflections on dependent origination and that particular political um, situation at that time. And so ironically um, sort of, uh, related to, to Russia and conflict once again. Um, but uh, just coincidentally, that was, that was the, 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 the uh, only notes tucked into this book. So it just happens to come at this time. Uh, and um, it was also, you can tell, quite closely related to the example with, with um, the two uh, school schoolboys that uh, the Venerable uh, Paiuto used in his example, um, Tom and Ben, uh, in, his, uh, in his account. So any, any thoughts, questions, any reflections on, on uh, Lumpur's comments? Yes. The jati part again. It's very rare for Lumpur Sumedha to write anything. People realize that uh, he is not. Uh, this is an extremely rare item. Uh, Juan is probably angling for this for the archive already. But, Upadana. Uh, birth, jati. As the feeling of enmity becomes more distinct, it is assumed as an identity. So that that the, the feeling of aversion and enmity, that, that's what you are. I am angry. I am, uh, uh, I, am uh, I, I, I have to oppose these people. The distinction between them and us becomes more distinct. And there is a self which is obliged to somehow react to the situation. I've got to do something. Yeah, it's my, my duty, my obligation. And then he goes on to Jara Marana. So that was the piece on Jati. Jati is about identity, not about action. It's, uh, yeah, well, it's, it, it's about uh, being born into a particular condition, having sort of chosen to follow that, then... There's there's the identification with that that you you know you this is what you are at that moment you're you're born into that you are angry or you are the you know they they are the enemy that the universe has shrunk to that particular condition and uh, so it's a, 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 it's it's an identification and then then jaramarna aging and death is then that the results of that identification having been made then that's all the 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 other parts of the process that go with it. You know, having bought that thing, then you have to pay the credit card bill. You know, having uh, having uh, acted on that angry mood, then you have to live with the conf- you know, the tension and conflict and anxiety afterwards. And so it's a, so. But the the birth jati is that sort of commitment of you know yes that. The, Brought into that particular state, that condition, and, and then there's no turning back at that point. Yes, Chris. Um, in the two examples that um, reflecting wisely on the, uh, the initial uh, issue, I guess, is what uh, leads out of the cycle. Uh, the question is, so that, that reflecting wisely seems more like a, like a mental, um, mental proliferation type of thing, where it's sort of um, using our verbal understanding in our minds in order to, to, to change the situation and sort of do it with wisdom. Uh, this verbal to an extent, it's more to do with the mind's ability to recognize patterns and how things work uh, and like using memory like oh I, i've been in this situation before I th- or i think i know where this is going to go um so it's not uh, so verbal thought might support that but it's more uh, you know, the mind's familiarity with natural processes and, and patterns of relationship and how things operate and then that that thought i think i know where this is going to go how, how can we how can we not go there? <laughs> so that, but it's that that I would say the 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 important part of it is is recognizing the uh, how things are fitting together and 
also you know learning from past mistakes or past and you know things that, have, that you've learned from things that have been beneficial like you know ah i remember <laughs> when this happened last time what was useful was xyz and so that you're drawing upon memory upon intelligence upon that pattern recognition uh, faculty and then conceptual thought or verbal thought is a, a useful tool in putting that together and then creating a, a, a way a plan for a way forward or talking about it, a way forward with with others um, but the the main thing is kind of being observant and recognizing how life operates because a, a lot of our learning is not conceptual it's not you know, like a, if you're a musician or you you're you're um or you're a, if you play sports you know it's not verbal you're you're what you're learning and the patterns that you're recognizing are not verbal there are no words in Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. It's not verbal, but it's a lot of complex uh, patterns all in relationship to each other. But it's, there's, no, there's no words. It's not a, a verbal message. But it's very patent. You know, it's just a random example. So a lot of, our, of what we learn in life um, is not conceptual, not, not verbal. But we recognize how things operate. Um, and they're, and they're familiar to us, you know, just like, the, like the, the wind moving through the trees or the flowers coming up in the springtime or noticing how the, you know, the daisies open in the daytime and close up at night or the crocuses. That it's not a, 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 the words don't have to have a lot to do with that. Uh, and that, uh, so that we can use words to clarify things and to uh, communicate, but a lot of that wise reflection is comes from being observant, just paying attention to how life operates and, and letting that have its effect. Yes, you're going to ask a question. Yes. I wanted to ask, so it, it, it seems that this can also uh, occur at a group level, right? So collectively a group of people might come into contact with the something and then dependent origination occurs in sort of uh, uh, group psychology. Yeah, I would say. One of the, uh, he, he touches, uh, Venerable Paiuto touches upon that, that, you know, you can look at it on a, a more sort of grand scale um, and you can look at it over several lifetimes or you could look at it as a momentary experience. It's, it's the same pattern operates on, on different scales. So it, it is quite valid to see it um, in terms of society, because whole groups of people can be motivated by ignorance or by wisdom. <laughs> and uh, that you can have a, um, uh, that sense of, of a group of people realizing, let's not go this way. That, you know, we, we remember what happened last time, let's do it differently. And, uh, and so it's not just one individual, but the collective um, wisdom or collective compassion and, and intelligence that sort of comes together to help the group to not be creating the causes for, for suffering. It's a little bit related to, uh, Randall is not here today, but uh, what Randall was asking about perception, how there's sort of wheels within wheels or, or there's sort of knock-on effects, it's, it's rather like that because none of us exist totally in isolation from each other. You know, we affect each other. And so that um, that um, uh, to a degree, um, bringing attention to the present and, and, and making efforts to not create more suffering is, is the, the work of the individual. But the individual, you know, we overlap with each other. And so what, what we do and how we operate, that affects the people around us. And similarly, what they do and how they operate affects, affects us. So that it's a, um, a Dhamma practice is a relational, is a rela- a, a relational element in that. And again, it's one of the reasons why we sort of gather together to live, uh, to sort of come to support our, each other in skillful activities, skillful attitudes, because we affect each other. We we can support each other, and so that then gathering together to to cultivate the wholesome and you know, let go of the unwholesome is a, a, a skillful way of of recognizing these processes and and not uh, and not creating more causes for ignorance and and craving and so on, and to feed the causes for for understanding and, and liberation. Okay.
carry on. At this point, let us review some important aspects of dependent origination. The entire process of dependent origination described above occurs rapidly. It is completed in an instant. For example, a student who has failed his exams, a person who has lost a loved one, or a person who sees his beloved with another partner may be anguished, frightened, or in shock. He may even scream or faint. The stronger the attachment and importance bestowed on something, the more intense the reaction. The conditional factors need not follow a set temporal sequence. In a similar manner, a piece of chalk, a blackboard, a clean surface, and the act of writing are all conditions for written words on the blackboard. The teaching of dependent origination emphasizes an understanding of a natural law, a process found in nature. For discerning the source of problems and the specific points that require correction, the details of that correction, the methods of practice, are not directly connected to the teaching of dependent origination, but are matters related to the path, Magga, or the middle way, Majima Padipada. Some of the former examples are superficial and lack subtlety, especially those illustrating the link between ignorance and volitional formations, the link between craving and clinging, and the link in which sorrow, lamentation, etc. induce a further rotation of the cycle. Some of the examples describing ignorance are limited to specific circumstances. They're not matters present in each moment of life. This may lead some people to think that ordinary people can live much of their life without ignorance, or that dependent origination does not give a true account of daily life. Therefore, it's important to provide a clearer, more detailed explanation of some of the difficult points. So this is a section called Deeper Explanations. When encountering an object or a situation, people normally interpret it, create ideas about it, and respond to it, influenced by the following four predispositions or subconscious impulses. Uh, these are the... Um, uh, the, the four kinds of outflows, the four kinds of asava. Karma, karmasava, the desire for gratification by way of the five senses. Bhava, bhavasava, the desire for or anxiety over self-existence. The desire to be a particular way and to maintain a desired state of existence. Ditti, ditasava, uh, habitual views, beliefs, doctrines and theories that are attached to and cherished. And then avijasava, delusion, ignorance, a lack of true awareness and comprehension of causes, effects, meanings, values, and objectives, and of the natural relationship between things or between events, a lack of discernment of the law of causality, the mistaken view that a self acts and is acted upon, an understanding of things conditioned by personal conjecture or mental fabrication. These four predispositions, especially the factors three and four, are connected. When one does not clearly understand the truth, one tends to act in accord with habitual views, beliefs, ideas, and concepts, ditti, many of which one assimilates from society. Factors three and four, so that's um, the dittasava uh, and avijasava, the views and opinions and ignorance, Factors three and four also influence factors one and two, sense, desire, and becoming. Ignorance and socially conditioned views determine and controls people's thought, control people's thoughts and actions, what they like, what they need, and how they seek satisfaction. They lie buried in a person's subconscious and dictate behavior without the person being aware of them. It's a common perception that people act entirely out of free will, but this is a delusion. If one investigates closely and asks what people really want, why they want these things, and why they follow a particular course of action, one sees that there's no real freedom of choice for most people. Their behavior is conditioned by, uh, conditioned by their upbringing and education, by culture, by religious beliefs, and by social conventions. They choose and act within the confines of these social factors. Even if they depart from usual, i.e. normal, forms of behavior, they still use these factors as a standard for comparison. All the things that ordinary people identify with lie within the framework of these four predispositions and are part of the five aggregates. Apart from being absent of any real substance or self, these things exert an unrelenting power over people who, 
while under their sway, have no independence. So that uh, might, might be a, um, a bit of a blunt way of talking. Well, I'm, I'm a free person, I can do what I like, I can make my own choices. But uh, what he's pointing to is that it can seem that way, but the, the choices that we make can be you know, heavily conditioned by, by society and expectations of, of the family, the people that we live with, the, the work that we do. So it can be, it can, it can seem like we are making, uh, uh, acting on free will, but within a very, very uh, closely defined set of, of parameters is, is very, very often the case. And so, the, but that said, uh, the, the, one of the, the key points that the Buddha makes, when, particularly when people ask, uh, talk to him about his philosophy, his teaching in relationship to the, the teachings of other uh, spiritual uh, teachers of his time, that you know, some uh, people would say you know, that we, we have uh, total free will and other people say that, we, um, that everything is preconditioned and um, preordained. And uh, you know, the Buddha made it, made it clear that you know, the, uh, we do have a degree of choice. If there wasn't some degree of choice, if our choices didn't make a, a difference, then liberation would be impossible. It's, it, it can't be the case that everything is pre uh, preordained or is predestined that that uh, just isn't the way that nature works but what we experience in the moment is preconditioned so as i've been saying a few times we experience the results of everything that has come before this moment and the, the laws of nature that, that are functioning but within this moment then there's a degree of choice there's a degree of flexibility uh, that we can choose to act in a wholesome way or an unwholesome way um, and, uh, and there is a degree of of, um, of choice there. So when he talks about um, uh, people, say, out of habit following, you know, say, a very, very closely uh, limited, tightly limited courses of action, uh, that shouldn't be taken as counteracting the Buddha's teaching that, <laughs> that our choices do make a difference, you know, and that, that that's a, a key uh, a key principle. Uh, other teachers in the Buddha's times would say everything is completely uh, sort of random. That the, you know, the things that occur uh, you know, and are not down to personal choice at all. Um, that things just things just happen uh, according to sort of random fluctuations of the universe. And so that uh, the Buddha also counteracted that and said, no, it's not completely random. It's not totally rigid. But there's a uh, things are are, are conditioned. The, the present moment experience is conditioned, but what what is done with that set of conditions as they are experienced is uh, is where we can we where we can make a difference, and that's where he focused his teaching was on on the the uh, the, the uh, capacity that we have to choose skillful action or unskillful action in each uh, each moment. Yes. <coughs> Yeah, I was wondering if you uh, remember how can I find this uh, point that the Buddha makes about free will because I remember I was looking for something else on Pema and I couldn't find anything in the canon. About free will? About free will, yes. Uh, well, the, the idea of free will uh, in, that, in those terms is kind of a Western philosophical mm. uh, concept. And so that um, when... Uh, when you look at it for that kind of area in the Pali Canon, if you look up things like intention, acting on intention, then that bring you to, to the area a bit. But the, the idea of... Um, uh, if you... Uh, um, one of the helpful teachings is called the... Uh, it's the second sutta in the Diganikaya, which is called um, the, the Fruits of the Homeless Life. And in that, if I remember correctly, the Buddha describes the, the philosophies of about six or seven different local teachers. And some of them are about predestination, some of them are about, about um, things being random and, and the different spiritual perspectives. And so uh, if you look through that, so it's, a, it's a quite a long sutta, number two in the Diganikaya. It's Fruits of the Homeless Life. And then it says, you know, Pakuda Kachayana, he teaches, teaches such and such, or Ajita Kesakambali, he teaches such and such. And so it explains in, in a, a little bit of detail. It's not the only place where, where that, those are described, but I think it's one sort of a um, convenient place where many of those philosophies are, are 
put together. And then it's ex- the Buddha explains, you know, why he has the approach that he does. That, uh, that you know, that intention um, and the ability to act upon intention is you know, the key to his uh, his teaching. Any further thoughts? Yes. Um, this is a complicated question, but uh, it seems that uh, as soon as we make some conclusions from the situation, it becomes pity. So if we act upon some conclusions that we make from the situation, it will be creating conflict more probably. When we make some dukkha, so it seems that um, we need to make observations and to try to understand the situation as much as possible, but then to act not from our conclusions, like uh, to still be in present and not to follow, like if, if I will make anything, I will need to do this and that in future, and if I just uh, carry out what I'm deciding to mm-hmm. do, most likely it will create some <laughs> yes. conflict. Yes. Yes, so that uh, the principle of uncertainty is really crucial. So we, we like the, what you're what you're describing is 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 right on the mark. Because if we say, okay, now I know what to do, I've learned that lesson, so now I know. And so that's almost fatal. That you know, that <laughs> but uh, well, uh, that's what happened last time. So that 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 suggests that things work in such and such a way, and then. A, diff- a new situation comes up, and you think, "Well, okay, we went like that last time, so maybe it'll be that way this time, or maybe not. Let's let's try this way forward and see what happens." So rather than "This is right. This is this is a true. I now know this is true, and this is a, f- a fixed reality." You're always keeping in mind that that quality of uncertainty, and so that if you uh, rather than "This is the way forward. This is the right direction," it's like, "Well, this looks like the right direction, but uh, let's." Let's take a step that way and, and see how that works out. See what that leads to. Um, this this seems like a good direction to go. Let's let's uh, uh, not make any assumptions, but uh, take a few steps that in that direction and see how it works. So that you're not being totally sort of frozen or just can't do anything because you, you know, you're overwhelmed by uncertainty. But you're keeping that um, that. Uh, openness by not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one having clarity of vision. You know, uh, that uh, you're you're recognizing that yeah, things seem to work in that particular way. Okay, uh, duly noted. Let's <laughs> let's uh, see if it works uh, uh, in, in that way this time, and then you're ready to adapt and change if need be along the way. So then you're you're uh, a um, you're able to to learn from the past and be informed by that, and to 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 use your understanding of the world around you, but you're not creating fixed views. Uh, the ditti uh, attachment to, to views, a dit asava, is like I'm right. This is true. I, you know, I know this is this is the case. Because as soon as the uh, uh, over and over again in the, in the suttas, the, the when a, a kind of standard way of characterizing. Um, delusion is that the, when the Buddha talks about our spiritual teachers that say only this is true, everything else is wrong. That's almost a guaranteed way of saying that uh, they're going to be creating suffering for themselves and people around them. So beware, beware of certainty. <laughs> when you're absolutely sure you're right, then be very careful. These four predispositions are called asava, often translated as effluent or outflow, something that leaks out, whereas taint, something that festers and ferments in the heart. These defilements leak out and stain the mind when a person encounters sense objects. Whenever a person contacts something by way of the senses or thinks of something, these asavas permeate and contaminate the mind. One's experience of sense objects is not guided by wisdom, but is mediated by the taints. This state of affairs prevents objective knowing and leads to continual problems. The taints uh, govern unenlightened people's behavior, including their thoughts and actions, without people being aware of them. 
They are the agents behind the basic mistake of viewing things as me or mine, which is the most fundamental level of ignorance. They are the starting point for dependent origination. When there is the arising of the taints, there is the arising of ignorance. Your ignorance is then the condition for volitional formations by which people act with a deluded sense of self. Similarly, one can say that people are not free because their behavior is ruled by unrecognized volitional impulses. So again, this is a point that he's uh, mentioned before, and it's sort of referred to before, but the uh, and that the Samaditi Sutta, Sutta number nine in the middle length discourses, then it's highlighted that the the uh, the fuel or the cause for ignorance is the is the the asava. One definition for ignorance is a lack of discernment of the three universal characteristics, especially the quality of non-self. A person is unaware that the things considered to be a being, a person, a self, me and you, etc., exist as a stream of myriad physical and mental components that are interrelated and mutually dependent. The continual arising and dissolution of these components causes this stream to perpetually change shape. People exist as a collection of thoughts, desires, habits, inclinations, opinions, values, perceptions, insights and beliefs, both irrational, erroneous beliefs and well-grounded, correct beliefs. These thoughts, etc. are the result of cultural transmission, education and ongoing responses both to internal events and to one's environment. When people are unaware of this fact, they identify with one or another of these components. Through such self-identification, these things deceive and subjugate people. They lead one to see things in the context of a self and to believe that one is a free agent behind action. At this point, let us look at another link that is difficult to understand, the link between craving and clinging, which is similarly a stage involving mental impurity. So before we go on to that, um, any further thoughts or questions about the, the asava, the outflows? Saying that's what... Uh, that's what primes the the uh, the mind for um, seeing in terms of, of self-view. So, ditasava, uh, uh, the uh, the outflow of views, bhavasava, the outflow of becoming, and avijasava. You know, those three are kind of all sort of related to that. I am this person. This is me. This is what I am. I am this this individual, and I uh, I am this uh, separate, permanent entity. That's uh, that feeling. Um, and so that it's it's a a lot of the purpose of um, the uh, samatha and vipassana medita- meditation, the concentration and the development of insight, is bringing the attention to that set of assumptions and beliefs and, and views, and uh, to you know, examine that, to explore that, and to de- deconstruct a lot of that eye making and mind making, and to in a sense counteract those uh, assumptions. So it's a it's literally sort of shining the light of wisdom to to dispel the the uh, the, the shadows of, of ignorance and the distortions of, of ignorance. Indavira, are you okay? Yes. Yeah. I was perceiving your head in your hand, so that you. So I was paying attention. Oh, well, I wasn't. <laughs> I was just uh, I was worried that you were experiencing a blinding headache or something. <laughs> Okay, just checking. So, uh, yeah. So, any uh, any uh, questions on that? This is also called ahankara mamankara, eye making and and mind making. That, that whole area. Yes. Yeah. So, so no, I guess no first cause for avijja, and there's no the same no first cause for the asavas too, right? Uh, correct. Yeah. <clears throat> Where, where does see? I'm still asking the same question here. Like, a, where did it come from? Uh, that is not a, a, a valid question. Where doesn't really apply. So that the, the, the uh, you know, over and over again, that, that there's that whole section. Uh, I think it's chapter 15 uh, of the connected discourses. Is no discoverable beginning. It's like a whole section of the Sangyutta on. No, <laughs> no discoverable beginning. Because our, you know, the mind, its assumptions about time, about place, about you know, uh, the, the, the nature of the universe, we, we see things from a very human perspective. And the, the, the Buddha, right from the beginning, realized that, that 
you know, there's a lot of reality is completely inexplicable uh, it, it, coming from the human scale and, and using the human senses and and human language to 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 perceive things and talk about things like there's just not the tools or the or it's not meaningful to to be talking in terms of of um uh, of you know an ultimate beginning or for a first cause it's like the the, the very way we put the question assumes a reality that doesn't exist. Yeah. So that uh, uh, the Buddha, uh, I, I, I feel with incredible genius, decided you don't need to talk about this. You can just park the whole thing. What you can recognize is that in this moment, Dukkha begins uh, on account of this. You don't have to think in terms of metaphysical realities or uh, a, uh, the, an ultimate beginning of things. Doesn't uh, does it's not meaningful. So that can be can be frustrating to the thinking mind. But I want to know. There must be an answer. Look in the back. Yeah, there must be an answer. But it, it's uh, because we're used to having conceptual answers. But it's like the the Buddha's refusal to talk about you know what happens to an enlightened being when the body passes away. He absolutely refuses to say anything about that, which is a, a very you know, repeat uh, an oft-repeated question, and uh, he's in exactly the same way. It's like you know, any any answer or conceptual response to that would, would couldn't be accurate, and wouldn't be helpful. So don't think about it. Which is you know, you think well, the, sur- surely all this effort, this incredible uh, commitment and dedication and effort and work, going to to realize full and complete enlightenment. There must be some really nice possibility or you know a, a result of that you know after the the body passes away and uh he just would not speak about it i mean the mo- the most he says is um uh, one who is uh uh well he, there's a couple of things he says in the question of uh of upasiva when upasiva says you know one uh, an enlightened being when they when the body passes away do they no longer exist or do they are they uh, do they enter into some kind of sublime transcendent state and the buddha says one who has reached the end has no criterion by which they can be measured that which can be spoken of is no more you cannot say they don't exist but when all modes of speaking all uh, all, all all modes of being uh, and all uh, all modes of speaking have uh, all modes of being and um all conceptions have come to an end, and all means of speaking have ended too. Yeah. And uh, the, 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 the book that Ajahn Pasano and I put together, The Island, it finishes, the very last uh, statement in the book is uh, where the, the Buddha gives the, the kind of almost the only comment about um, uh, the, the uh, the nature of an enlightened being after the body passes away, and it's talking about Dabba Maliputta, who um, was a, one of the, became an arahant when he was seven years old. He was a seven-year-old novice who became an arahant, and uh, he lived a, a, a long life in the sangha. He um, uh, he was the guest monk, and he had this ability to make his finger luminous, so that monks would deliberately arrive after dark, so that they'd be shown to their kuti by Dhamma Maliputta with his luminous finger. Is it true? Well, luminous finger. So that was his torch, was his finger. He could light up his finger. And, uh, so then the, the Buddha said, don't arrive late, just so that you can look at the... There's other attributes of Dhamma Maliputta that are more important than his luminous finger. So. It's there in the in the Vinaya. You know, so it seems to be a true story. But anyway, when he when he passed away, uh, again he uh, he um, dissolved into a blaze of fire. That he what they call entered the fire element at the end of his life. A venerable Ananda did as well. So he entered the fire element and just spontaneously combusted. Um, and uh, and so when, uh, the um, the Buddha described uh, we're talk, talking about Dabba Maliputta's um, Parinibbana and he said um, that uh, uh, just as the destination is not known uh, when, when uh, say iron has been heated all day in a, in a furnace and you can't say when, and then if the iron the red hot iron is allowed to cool down you can't say where the glow has gone he said 
there is no speaking of the destination of you know one who has uh, has reached the end of the path when their when their body passes away. You can't say where that glow has gone. You can't say where. Um, <clears throat> but then he uh, he uses the phrase, but you know such a one has realized unutterable bliss. That's what you get. There, so there is a mention of bliss, but that's the only time. <laughs> Uh, the almost the the one and only reference you get to some kind of some kind of a of a a mode of of being that is blissful, but uh, that's one reference that's snuck through. <laughs> and the, but otherwise, the Buddha is absolutely stoic; doesn't talk about it because it's not helpful. And the main uh, focus of attention is on that the path to arrive at that quality of of total liberation, and that. Uh, once you know, once once that reality has been fully known and embodied, then it will speak for itself. It's an event horizon, like in a black hole. You know, nothing can come. It goes one way. You know, you can't. Messages can't come back from the other side of the event horizon. Any other? Yes. It seems. Uh... Like uh, when when there is wrong view, uh, because of that whole process, that means that when whatever you can perceive is going to be uh, in error because of the confirmation bias that that would happen. So so when someone just starts going down that road, then that seems the only way out is to be able to see the wrong view, which starts the process. Uh, well, it's not. It's not a. Um, it's not an either-or situation, <laughs> because the the there's still the faculties of mindfulness and wisdom are still. They might be masked by a particular fear or aversion or desire or an opinion or busyness. You know, um, it might be masked by that, but those factors can still be functioning, and so that um, uh, the. Uh, what uh, what uh, the the um, I would call the first exit point from the cycle of dependent origination is where dukkha has already happened, and as the Buddha, as I think I was quoting yesterday, the Buddha said, suffering ripens in two ways, either as more suffering or as search, and that uh, search is defined as um, there has to be a, a way out of this, there has to be an alternative, this this can't be. The the only possibility now. What is the, what is the way out? What is the way forward? What what can be done that that um, doesn't create more dukkha? And so that um, the degree to which that search is actual is activated, <laughs> rather than just being uh, missed altogether and the mind creating just getting lost in more dukkha. And that that's to do with our sort of spiritual potential or the the parameters we've developed, or the, the, or just how painful it is, like that, uh, that you're just really tired of of creating more and more suffering, and something just says, "No, I've had enough," and uh, and looks for uh, a, an alternative. So it's not a completely sort of either or situation. That uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, and that's also one of the places where good companionship comes in. You know, we're, we're good friends where you know you might be sort of disappearing into some kind of agitated state you're really upset about something or you're really worried about something or really excited about something and then you know you yeah, then Terry or Maurice looks at you and says you're looking a bit excited today what, what's what's going on or you, you look really worried what's happening and you go and then you can get a bit of a perspective because your your friends are, are say giving you some feedback. Oh, you look you look excited, or you look upset, or you look irritated, and so that uh, was one of the great benefits of spiritual friendship, and uh, and uh, the drawing close to good people is that then it where we might get completely drawn into and lost in some kind of unhelpful state that. Sort of a reflection that we get, the 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 sort of support and feedback we get from the people around us. That can be a, a way that uh, it, it strengthens that quality of search. Like, oh yeah, I was just getting carried away again, or getting getting really uh, worried again. Oh, yeah, well, I, I don't. Need, why do I keep doing that? I don't need to do that. 
and then you can start to find that alternative. Yes. Well, the, the more that there is ignorance, mm-hmm. then that's what kind of keeps the fuel uh, supply, that keeps the wheel turning because of, of the fuel. Mm-hmm. It's got, it's, there's petrol in the engine, mm-hmm. so that then those, the, the, the wheel keeps turning and then suffering leads to more, uh, leads to more ignorance and that leads to more craving and more suffering and more ignorance and around and around it goes. Yeah. And so that, um, uh, it, that that's the the pattern that the, it, the, the minds and and the the habits of of most living beings function in. Okay. But the the if ignorance can be deprived of its fuel, if that can uh, or then it's no longer given strength to uh, uh, and that the or the you know the chain of that that cycle can be can be broken at uh, various different places. Maybe. Like, um, because there, um, there is no beginning and no end, so uh, I felt it's, um, it is the way things are going in, in mind and in the world. And um, exit you pointed out, that mm-hmm. whole point, uh, like a Good uh, exit. Uh, well, that's the, the exit points. They lead to the paticca nirodha, the dependent cessation. So there's that the so because there is an end. There, the, there dukkha can come to an end. So there is an ending of the cycle. Yeah, effectively. So, uh, um, so that the yeah, so that there's still um, you know the body, the sense organs, the feelings, and such like coming and coming and going. That uh, and those those patterns of of experience still keep functioning, mm-hmm. but the mind is relating to it in a very different way. Yeah, that's okay to think in this way. Yes. Yeah. Is that it means uh, we are trying to stop this? Movement. It's more letting letting uh, uh, sort of letting go of the wheel. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's different ways of talking about it. You can talk about, uh, but letting uh, letting go of the cycle, letting go of the wheel, mm-hmm. is one skillful way of talking about it. Mm-hmm. So in this case, like a circle itself doesn't have beginning and end, but actually uh, hearing the. Um, what I understood so far is that entrance point could be any place. When we are involved mm-hmm. in this uh, cycle, mm-hmm. which I am in, but this entry point can be any place. And um, uh, and um, so in this case, a cycle itself doesn't have a beginning and end, but where we enter in can be a beginning of this circle, and when we are exit, can be a, 
Well, I say in terms of beginning, it's uh, it's pretty much always ignorance, not seeing things clearly, and, and the, the supports for ignorance. That's where it begins. There might be a particular spot where we first notice things happening, like around craving or around uh, being becoming, you know, being born into something, or a particular sense event. But the I would say it begins with ignorance, with not seeing clearly the mind primed to relate to things in terms of me here, the world out there. That uh, That's how I, I tend to frame it in, in my mind. But the exit points, yeah, I, I think of as being in different places, but the entry, uh, the beginning is ignorance and the causes for ignorance. Okay? Well, it's uh, um, the I think in different situations or different circumstances, you might focus on different areas. Like when Longpore Sumedha was talking about uh, teaching a lot about dependent origination back in the late eighties and early nineties, he would he would spend like a, a two or three weeks just on Avijja Pachaya Sankara, and then you know, another. Another two or three weeks on Tanha Upadana Bhava or Salatana Pasavedana, he'd take a little chunk. And then, and uh, what you would find is that different areas of, this, of the, the process would become meaningful at different times, and that you would be able to apply, or, or there would be sort of, you know, oh, that's what's happening now, or that's really interesting, or that's what my mind is doing. And so, um, that um, recognizing those different areas. Uh, it's going to be different situations or different moods or different areas of your your mind or your life that those are going to be relevant to, and so just getting familiar with the different areas of the of the cycle and um, seeing um, and, and, and just exploring them, using the meditation to explore what those what those terms mean, how you feel them, and then. Uh, and then it, out of that, then it becomes a bit more clear. Okay, that's where it would be really helpful to focus attention on that uh, Vedana Tanha or on Bhava Jati, you know, that area, or like Avicca Pachaya Sankara. You know, you know, Lumpur spent you know, literally weeks or just on on Avicca Pachaya Sankara. Yeah, and he, he he would render it as ignorance complicates everything. And and that uh, that the process of exploring. Oh, what, what's the intention here? Where's this coming from? Sometimes it might be quite clear. Sometimes it's it's not clear. Or the okay, is there any self in this? Is this is this motivated just by mindfulness and wisdom, or is there 
is there me in this as well? What's going on here? Sometimes it might be quite clear, sometimes it'll be unclear. But yeah, you can use those reflections on anicca, dukkha, anatta to clarify the, the intention and just... But also, you, it, it, it's important, I think, to recognize that we can't always be sure. That sometimes, hmm, I'm not sure, I don't know what's going on there, I'm not quite sure what the, what's happening there. Okay, and just to be, in a way, content with that lack of certainty. So you're... Five. I think that's time for us to call, call, call it quits. Five past seven. So. Good enough? Okay, let's draw it to a close there.